When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show is brought to you by the Forever Dog Podcast Network. Find Kevin's show and other great comedy podcasts at foreverdogpodcast.com. And if you're a fan of the show, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, rate us, and write us a review. And now, please enjoy Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show live from Largo in Los Angeles with special guests Andy Richter, Amy Mann, Dana Gould, and Mark McKinney. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm round of applause for tonight's announcer. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show. Are you ready? Yeah. I said, are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Without any further ado, I'd like to introduce the star of the show. One of the following statements is not true. He is a gifted writer, actor, comedian. He's a founding member of the legendary comedy group, The Kids in the Hall. And he was the inspiration for the Doors hit, L.A. Woman. <laughs> All right, two of those statements were not true. <laughs> but without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the answer to the question, why do they hate us? <laughs> Mr. Kevin McDonald. Sorry. And, and thank you to my wonderful announcer. No, 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 no. Thank, 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 thank you, Kevin. It, it, it's, it, it's an honor that you trust me with this job. I mean, a popular podcaster like you, you must deal with a lot of snakes. Oh, not really. You know, people are nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they are. <laughs> No, seriously, it, it, it's a shame that so many people in this town are ripping off your bits and, and, and you know, making their living off your labor. What? <laughs> people are ripping off my bits? Uh, I, I have bits? What bits? I've said too much. You haven't? <laughs> All right, well, the other day I heard... No. I, I can't. I mustn't go on. You must? 
Well, well, there's a, uh, there's another white guy hosting a podcast. <laughs> uh, that's fine. No, no, it's not. It's not Kevin. He does your whole thing. He's a nerd, he talks about his past, and he makes excuses for why his jokes don't land. Those are the things that only you do. Yes, true, but, but really, it's fine. I mean, it's, it's 2017, and I say there's room for more than one white nerd in podcasting. Yeah, yeah until there isn't. Imposters always start small, and then they go big. And before you know it, they're fucking your wife, they're raising your kids, they're fucking your kids. It's dark out there, Kevin. It's really dark. You're scaring me. Hmm. Well, lucky for you, I'm not only an announcer. I'm a fixer. I'm like Ray Donovan, but I don't look so much like a furious toe. Here's how we make sure no one else rips you off. First, we turn off all the mics. Everyone in the audience, we hypnotize them to stay in their seats for seven years. I have a street entertainer friend who will do it for free. Then, we call in sick for them at their jobs, all of them, every day for seven years. <laughs> we should probably also pay their taxes so the government doesn't get suspicious. Ah, see, details. That's what a fixer deals with. Meanwhile, you and I, we cool our heels. We grab a casual Italian meal. We talk next steps. What do you say? Look, I, I took all this time writing my sketch for tonight, Backdraft Part 2. <laughs> and it's really an important sketch for me. So, All right, let's talk next steps right now. We grab some paisan off the street. Any paisan will do. We give him a shower. We got to shave him so he doesn't look like a trained ape. We buy him some threads and a boom. Now he's Kevin McDonald. Anybody who can tell the difference? I don't think so. The other kids in the hall, for example. Well, we melt them in acid or boil them in water. Whatever. It's not a big deal. It's... Now, this frees me and you up to go for a nice meal, a casual Italian meal. I know a really good, Kevin, I know a really good, I know a really good casual Italian place, and you're going to love it. What do you say? Announcer, do you own a casual Italian restaurant? <laughs> Kevin, I have to confess something to you. Okay. I own a casual Italian restaurant. I want to do my show it's, now. It's called the Olive Yard. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It really is. But in November of last year, man, everything changed. You want to know why? No. There came the big man. The big man? It all started when an olive garden moved in across the street. Well, actually, it had always been there. Actually, it, it had been there longer than we had been, but its sign had been obscured by a tree. But then they removed the tree, and then our customers started leaving the yard for the garden. And it was ruining our business. And I have a family to feed. So to compete with the Olive Garden's unlimited breadsticks, we thought we'd do them one better. We, at the Olive Yard, started offering, are you listening? Yes. Unlimited lunch and dinner. Kevin, 
it may surprise you to learn this was a financial misstep. It would not surprise me. Kevin, Kevin, the big man. Oh, the big man. He sat down and he ordered lunch and dinner for 17 days straight. He ate all of our fettuccine. He ate all of our prosciutto. He ate all of our Nana Maria spaghetti alla puttanesca. Okay, let's get back to the show. The big man is not human, Kevin. He's like an ancient hulking beast. When we ran out of food, the big man ate the cloth napkins, and then he ate the silverware, and the chairs, and the table, the Goodfellas poster. He ate the walls, Kevin. He ate all three walls. Three walls? Well, yeah. Have you ever seen a backwards dinner theater with four walls? Come on. Backwards dinner theater? Yeah. Where you sit on the stage to eat your meal, and an audience watches you. Of course. As we speak, the big man is just sitting there in the audience of my empty backwards dinner theater. Blood and carnage strewn about him, and he demands a show. And he promises to leave if you, Kevin McDonald, comedy legend, will come over and put on a show for him. So, what do you say? Announcer, I don't really know you that well. And this sounds kind of dangerous. It actually sounds fake. I would, I would call the police. Give me a second, I gotta call my wife and tell her the bad news. <coughs> yeah. No, he didn't fall for it. I guess we'll never lure him into one of those world famous Kevin McDonald three whistles. Yeah, I love you too. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen. On with the show. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. The show's starting now. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, announcer. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Los Angeles, unless you're some of the very, very few people who didn't move here permanently just to see the show tonight. <laughs> For that rare bunch of you who actually live here uh, before the show started, well, just welcome to the show then. Uh, to open the show, this is exciting. I wrote a very mediocre piece of stand-up comedy. <laughs> which is fine. Don't pity me. I wrote a mediocre on purpose. I'm not lying. I'm a fan of mediocre stand-up. I grew up in Gary Mule Deer. <laughs> but this stand-up is different territory for me. So before I start to do this new stand-up bit, I would do a short song I also wrote to explain it. A musical apology, if you will, it is also mediocre. Uh, you know, Kevin, while you're tuning up, a funny story about Gary Mule Deer. He's now very sick. <laughs> he was actually very funny. I, I remember. <laughs> Don't take it back. <laughs> I mispronounced threesomes. Well, we've all made our mistakes. I started to say three-way and changed it to sums and... Uh, it became three or some. Yeah, it was kind of like... 
we had Star Wars, and at the very end, we didn't show him put the missile in the tube, yeah. but outside of that, it was fine. Seven pages, no punchline. Seven pages, no punchline. Yeah, it's like... Well, there was one. I, there was, to be honest, there was a punchline. I invited it into my car, <laughs> drove it to an onion field, watched it dig its own grave, and then shot it in the back of the head. But that's not to say there wasn't a punchline. We did our part. It. It's them. Yes. There was a punchline. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Gary Mudeer, uh, Mudeer? Right Is it Mule or Mudeer? Threesome. The or whole as, thing was... Or as we all pronounce them, thrills. Threesome. I wish I was dead. <laughs> sorry, it was punchline in a car buried in a field. All right. Here's my musical apology to the very mediocre stand-up bit. I'm not kidding. All right. Kevin McDonald, boom, 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 is gonna do some stand-up, boom, 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 boom. His troupe was known for weirdness, boom, 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 boom. But this stand-up will be mainstream, boom, 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 boom. Very, very mainstream, boom, 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 boom. Not even original mainstream, boom, 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 boom. Unoriginal mainstream, boom, 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 boom. Not even good on original mainstream, boom, 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 boom. But Kev's gonna do it, boom, 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 boom. Oh, and it's a little dirty. It's a bit about masturbation. Another bit about masturbation. That's all the world needs, just another bit about masturbation. I'm ignoring the out-of-tune guitar. <laughs> Mighty have fallen. Boom, 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 boom. He's run out of ideas. Fuck do it louder. Boom, 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 boom. He usually does the weird stuff. Boom, 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 boom. Like saying we'll do or evil. Boom, 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 boom. But now he's doing mainstream. Boom, 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 boom. Dirty, dirty mainstream. Boom, boom. Boom, boom, like he was Lisa Lampanelli. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Only he won't say, are my fags here tonight? Boom, 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 boom. He'll just do his dirty stand-up. It's a bit about masturbation. The world needs a bit of masturbation. Some insight into masturbation. From a guy's perspective, masturbation. <laughs> Here it comes, here it comes, you ready, you ready? Masturbation bit is here, you ready, you ready? He took four years to write this, but he's ready, he's ready. And now the masturbation bit is coming, it's coming. I didn't mean a pun when I said it's coming, it's coming. Masturbation bit is starting. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, hello, and welcome to my uh, masturbation bit. <laughs> Kevin McDonald, grade three. Uh, Thank you very much. Um, first of all, I would like to confess um, uh, that I didn't start masturbating until I was 24. Uh, the true ugly story. <laughs> I was Catholic, and my father never taught me like a good father should. Uh, so, it, so it took a while. 
<laughs> Gary Muldeer. Uh, there's actually no joke here, but pathetic confessions can be funny. Pathetic confessions, yeah! Once I started, I got pretty good at it, and it, it hit me the other day that I have masturbated in front of my dog a lot. It's a strange concept. Um, I come home, hi, Tiggy, how's my doggy? How's my doggy? How's my, how the, uh, H? And then I just put my hands on my pants and I go crazy in front of a poor little dash hound. I mean, that is a weird thing to do in front of a living being, constantly. <laughs> what, if, what if Tiggy were the son I never had? Would I do it in front of my one-year-old baby son when I was home babysitting? I hope not. Maybe. <laughs> it was the only time I had. Imagine, imagine my wife coming home early to that. Hi, Kevin, I'm ho, ho, <laughs> 911 would be there before she got to the third one. I always wonder. <laughs> what my dog is thinking when I'm masturbating, and he's staring at me with those big, sweet, dash hound eyes of his. I mean, at first it's all good. I open the door and he comes in. He's happy to see me. Kevin's home. Kevin's home. Kevin's... Oh, Christ, here we go again. <laughs> I hate that he calls himself my daddy right before his hand goes in his pants. <laughs> here we go. He's undoing the zipper. He's slipping in his hand. And start the clock. <laughs> God help us. Other dogs get to play in the backyard, not me. I get to sit in the living room with Daddy having a hand party in his pants. Here come the high-pitched screams, the crying, the louder screams asking why his father never loved him. And he's done. Well, now he'll feed me. Please wash your hands first. Please wash your hands first. Sometimes when I masturbate in front of my dog, I wonder if he's ever thinking this. Hey, why does he always masturbate in front of me? Oh, my God, is he attracted to me? Oh, my God, he thinks I'm sexy. I am a little sexy for a dash hound. Oh, God, I've got to pretend to be sick to get out of the weekend to the cabin with Tiggy to finish writing my script trip that he wants to take. Yeah, right, writing. He wants to write with me. Lucky me, all weekend alone with a Hemingway, writing. <laughs> and what if Tiggy really could talk? Uh, what would he say to my wife? Hi, Cheryl. Good day at work. Good, good. Oh, I was just hanging out with Kevin in the living room with the curtains closed. He was masturbating all day, Cheryl. All day, yeah. He might have said he was writing his podcast, but he was masturbating all day, yeah. And right before he started, I saw him looking at the picture of his ex-wife, Trudy, that he still keeps on the phone. Oh, he never showed that one to you? Yeah, he looks at the picture and then just started writing his podcast all day. My dog sounds like me. It's true. He's a dash hound. He's a dash hound. I guess I'm a dash Yes, I masturbate in front of my dog uh, constantly. What's worse is that I wrote this in front of my stepkids. It's true. It's true. I'm absent-minded. What if they asked me where their baseball glove was? And I absent-mindedly said, oh, I think it's in front of the me masturbating all day in front of our dog. I've done my masturbation bit. Thank you very much. Now, <clears throat> congratulations, Kevin. One, why do you pronounce dachshund dash hound, but you don't pronounce stepkids steep kides? I don't know. That's a good question. You don't say donkey, do you? I do. Oh. I have one. Well, I, I'm going to say just 
to go off script here, that was the 27th best masturbation bit I've ever heard. Really? 27? Wow. Just about. Wow. Well, with that triumph behind me, <laughs> let's move to the important part of the show. What would that be? Oh, I turned the pace too early. You know, just thinking that if one other person comes on this stage, we could have a throwsome. <laughs> With addition. <laughs> hey, let's move to the important part of the show, the sketch. <laughs> And now, ladies and gentlemen, donkeys and dashons, it's time for the skeech. Thank you, announcer. <coughs> uh, tonight's sketch, uh, as I said before, is entitled Backdraft Part 2. <laughs> A parody of Ron Howard's touching action movie, Backdraft. But you know what? It's more than just a parody. Uh, I don't say this often, but this sketch means a lot to me. And if you allow me a moment of, well, I hope not self-importance, but you know, as you, you get a grander view of things as you age, what's important, what's fleeting. After the selection, I started volunteering, of course. <laughs> I met a homeless man online for soup, Eddie. Eddie, he's a veteran, veteran Eddie. Staff sergeant in Granada. <laughs> Thing is, <laughs> the right. Thing is, Eddie never wanted to be a warrior. He wanted to be a comedian. Always chase your dreams, ladies and gentlemen. I've been lucky enough to do that for 30 years, and tonight I get to live out my ultimate dream, reading the best sketch I have ever written with some of the best friends I've ever had. Let's do this for Eddie, and I hope he enjoys it from heaven. He died while I was forcing him to eat too much soup. Andy Richter! Andy Richter! Thank you. The Thank nicest you. man in showbiz! Oh, But Kevin, Andy, I, I, I didn't say your cue yet. Thanks. I didn't say your cue yet. Uh, uh, yeah, well, Kevin, I thought uh, it was important that you heard it from me. Um, Backdraft Part 2 sucks. You, you did a really bad job writing this <laughs> sketch. What? Yeah, uh, take it from me, the nicest man in showbiz. I've watched funnier dog fights. Well, actually, there, there are some pretty funny dog fights. Hey, I can write one in the Backdraft Part 2. Kevin, Kevin, Backdraft Part 2 is unfixable. But you're going to thank me because, well, here's what I did. There's an old computer backstage. I mean, th this place is a mess. Uh, there's an old computer backstage. I literally banged my ass on the keyboard until some random words popped out. And in a one and a million shot, it's actually, it's pretty coherent. And it's definitely funnier than Backdraft Part 2. I, I cannot stress enough how much Backdraft Part 2 sucks. But it's my late masterpiece. It's the death rattle of a forgotten comedian, Kevin. <laughs> Sorry. I, but I, I, believe here. It's, I believe it's pronounced comedian. 
It's the death rattle. Other, other than that, spot the on. Death rattle. <laughs> well, here I've written a sketch. I, I, I've uh, I've done the. Uh, while no one was looking, I passed it out to all of you. Oh, thank you. There we go. So uh, go ahead, announcer. Uh, read what my ass wrote. David stands next to Goliath. David is played by bedwetter Kevin McDonald. <laughs> David speaks. I'm sterile. <laughs> and that's all that's written. Yeah, that's comedy, baby. Uh, Bam! No, Suck on that, backdraft part two. No, no, I, 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 that was awful. Uh, that wasn't even a whole sketch. Uh, these people paid good money. These people paid good money. Here, folks, listen to just a little bit of Backdraft Part 2. Oh, I, no, no. Here we go. <laughs> Interior, the White House, or should I say the Orange House. Oh. Even the stage directions are funny. Kevin, Kevin, please, you're, you're embarrassing yourself. A2, Dave. <laughs> it's Mark. Dave couldn't make it. He got a movie at the last minute. A2, Mark. More importantly, you're embarrassing me by association. You know that? But I'm the godfather to your son. I'm the godfather to Dave's son. I'm the godfather to your son, Mark. For the, for the purposes of this sketch, I'll accept that it's my son. <laughs> Kevin, if you make me read this sketch, I will slit my son's throat in front of you so you can witness something almost as painful as Backdraft Part 2. Jesus fucking Christ. Also, I can't verify this, but I'm pretty sure you made up this Eddie character to garner goodwill for such a shitty sketch. And that's something a mentally ill person would do, Kevin. And if it's true, I hope you would go where all mentally ill people should go. Prison. But Dave, <laughs> you're my oldest friend. <laughs> It's Mark. It's, it's Mark. You don't call me when you come to town, ever. But Mark, for the purposes of this sketch, you're my oldest friend. Yes, that's unfortunately right. So, I'll tell you what I did for you, old pal. I saved your ass. I ate a bunch of dictionaries. Step two, I took an elephant laxative and I shit out a coherent series of words on your car. My car? It was a one in a million shot and after trying it out a million times over the course of my career, it finally worked. Wow. Then I put those words on paper and as a sketch, and I think Andy will attest to this, it reads a lot better than Backdraft Part 2. Oh, it has to. Yeah. 
mean, were you it like, has to. I was, I was shocked at how hilarious mine was compared to Backdraft Part 2. Yeah, yeah. Let's read. <clears throat> Exterior. Here's the script. <laughs> Page 22. <laughs> I wouldn't have chosen wingdings, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very Geneva impressed. Bold. I'm very impressed with everyone's space work. <laughs> it's writer duet. I don't use final draft anymore. It's writer duet. <laughs> Exterior. Cheerleading practice. Two hot guys stand next to a weak nobody named Little Pee Pee. Kevin, you play Little Pee Pee. Page top of 23. I have never gotten hard. Not even once. Not even a little. Oh no, Little Pee Pee. All the cheerleaders heard you. And scene. <laughs> Dave Mark, are you sure you didn't write that just to humiliate me? Kevin Bruce, humiliate you how? <laughs> how? Why? I mean, if you'd actually gone through with reading Backdraft Part 2, now that would have been humiliating, Scott. How can you say that, Looch? <laughs> how, about, how about right here in the script of mine, this witty tete-a-tete from the opening scene? My ode, and you love this, Mark, my ode to Commedia dell'arte. Oh. All right, give it a chance. Man one says, get that monkey down from there. <laughs> Man two says, sir, that's not a monkey. That's my... President. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, honey. Could you tell Junior to meet me at Largo? <laughs> and bring one of my Japanese knives. Wow. Doesn't matter. Anyone. It's okay, my child. You are beautiful, full of grace. Is that? Is, I know it is. It's my guardian angel! My guardian angel! Yes, Kevin, your guardian angel, come down from heaven. Oh, guardian angel, they're being so mean to me. I wrote my late master. Shh, 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 hush, hush, my dear boy. I come bearing divine judgment. Thank you. Thank you. Backdraft part two blows chonks. Jesus Christ. I mean, I've read better sketches on the walls of gas station bathrooms. 
Backdraft part two, you should have called it Claptrap. <laughs> should, should have called it Ass Crap. That's good. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. Should have called it My Suicide Note. <laughs> but look, never fear, my child. I think I can help you out. You see, in my travels through time and space, I made a m- remarkable discovery about this nation's founding. My children, there is a funny sketch written on the back of the Declaration of Independence. Yes, it's true. Look, everybody knows the founding fathers knew their civics, but did you know also that they could have written Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman? Amazing men. Truly amazing stuff. Well, anyway, so when I saw that you were going to subject this audience to Backdraft Part 2, I swooped right down from heaven and stole Thomas Jefferson's famous document. And here, for the first time ever, we can read the sketch tonight. Wow. 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 You know, <coughs> this has been a real emotional roller coaster. The roller coasters just went down. <laughs> but I also think it's kind of incredible. I mean, some of the founding fathers of comedy, reading some of the founding fathers of government's comedy. Incredible. Oh, sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it really wow. is. It really yeah, is. Wow. Take it away, announcer. Three cool dudes <laughs> stand around a sad, thin loser. So, so Kevin, you would play the... Uh, I get it. I get it. I play... <laughs> I play the sad, thin loser. It would be two cool dudes and a swanky chick stand around a sad, thin loser. So, Kevin, you would still play the... Um, the, the sad, thin yeah. loser. All right. No. <laughs> There's a fifth man who sits really far away from them. He's not even in the sketch. Kevin, that's... that's that I got, yeah, I got it. Yeah. One of the cool guys speaks. Interior, the White House, or should I say, the Orange House. (laughs) 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 For the viewing public at home, everyone except Kevin McDonald started to laugh at how funny the sketch was. The audience laughed. The guests laughed. God laughed. And Kevin McDonald, well, he was just lucky to be there. <laughs> the end. Thank you to my actual friends. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Amy. And now I'm going to interview Andy Richter. Andy Richter. Can we move these out of the way? Well, we can come back here. I guess we move the music. Yeah, let's move the these out of the way. Uh, hi. Hi, Andy. Hi there, Kevin. Andy Richter! Oh, thank you. Yeah, let's pump it back up. Yeah. Let's ride that high we experienced earlier. I'm not very good at interviews. <laughs> Do you want to leave the fire hat on? <laughs> He's going to leave the fire hat on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of conceptual, but maybe it would distract you. No, no, it'd be fine. I could take it. I, it's how I always see you. With a fire hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a little fire hat on. Brian Wilson recording fire for Smile. He mm-hmm. wore a little fire hat. Oh. Los Angeles. Worked out well for him. Worked out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I got that going for me. Uh, 
uh, not only my bad interviews, but I can't read. Um, oh, I did Wikipedia. Sure, <laughs> sure, as every good interviewer <laughs> does. <laughs> Who needs a research department? Yeah. Yeah, I, I see Charlie Rose on there all the time. <laughs> well, research departments, what do they Because they used to call the library and be good, but now do they just do Wikipedia? Is research? This is not my question, but this is like we're chatting. I know. That's the idea. And you know stuff. Like you work on a show that has research departments. Do they just do Wikipedia? What do they do? I don't know how that part works. There's, there's literally, we, on our show, there are people that work you know, as, uh, I mean, a crow couldn't fly through a second, third story to a second story, but as I, I'm like within 50 yards of people and I don't see them for weeks at a time because I show <laughs> up, I go to my office, I wait there until it's time to go to the studio and then I go to the studio. I don't mill around with those riffraff. I understand. I'm above the line, baby. <laughs> I'm sorry, wrong question for you, but... <laughs> But in the 70s, it must no, have been well, like I mean, no, libraries. We, we certainly do have uh, research staff, and they look at, y y well, you know, they look at videos, and they're, and they're at, you know, researching other articles and seeing what questions have been asked and finding out where someone's going on vacation and all that other fascinating fucking shit that we talk about. <laughs> you did. I had lip this question. You did, if I may, left out the, the best part about being on television that you do. What's that? Wearing makeup. Oh, yes. You do get to wear makeup. Ladies' makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever, like, wear it out for dinner? Because, you know... Uh, you oh, know, I try life? not to. It's really... I feel like if I have to go somewhere after I'm working and I'm, like, driving in the car wearing makeup, I feel as if my face is radioactive. <laughs> I feel very self-conscious about the fact that I have makeup on. And I always love when... Like, say, like, actors from... For a while, we're having... There's apparently some show that's all about MMA fighters that someone on our staff loves because we had every fucking person from that show on our thing. And it was like, I've never heard of this show. I never see it advertised. And here's... A, it's another person from, you know, Ass Kickers or whatever it's called. And they all... You can tell all of these actors really fancy themselves as, like ass kicking like I am because they have to train because they have to look good and they have to be training on camera all the time so they're all really tough and I always love with that kind of actor who thinks he's a you know in a biker gang or you know a, a soldier or the fact is like yeah but while you're doing all that tough guy stuff you have pretty makeup on <laughs> you know <laughs> you're wearing makeup the entire time and your Sorry, clothes have to be perfect and you're someone's coming up and fixing your hair in between times of shooting a gun yes. or whatever you're doing. Touch-ups on the action hero. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, my Wikipedia question then. Yes. Uh, is it true that you, Andy Richter, were elected prom king in your high school? I certainly was. I was the prom... Thank you. I was the king of the promenade, which is actually what uh, prom is. It's short for promenade. I didn't know that. I'm it Canadian. Is. It Bash is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Um... Uh, I was, I was, uh, yeah, I was uh, the prom king of Yorkville High School in uh, 1984, and um, Michelle Engelhart was the prom queen. She's a, a lovely girl that I had gone to school with, you know, throughout my childhood. And but it uh, wasn't a love thing. That's no, it, it wasn't no at all. That been a no, no, they didn't do it. Like it never. It wasn't like in the movies where it was a couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it was. It was just the two of us, and we both. If you looked at it through the lens of um, hating yourself, as I do most everything, 
the homecoming dance, which happens in the fall, uh, had a court of five boys and five girls. And those five were disqualified from prom so that you didn't have, so that there was no repeat. So I really took from the experience that I was the sixth most popular. <laughs> That's what prom king means to me. I'm number six. I'm number six. <laughs> That's something. Did you have a girlfriend that was jealous because there was a prom queen with you? Or? I did not have a girlfriend at that time. No, I was... Surely uh, a prom king must be popular with the ladies. Mm, oh, I wish. Uh, no, it was as fake as the ricotta cheese tub that the crown was made out of. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding. When they put this crown on and it was, you know, your sort of typical, you know, the, the, you know, the old margarine commercial crown, that one with like the fake sort of whatever that white fur with black flecks in it and jewels and red and a cr and but it was all made the base of it was when you took it off and looked underneath it a ricotta cheese tub <laughs> you could see ricotta cheese uh, the label on the inside of it so okay so you were one of those prom kings that said my life is peaked my life is peaked <laughs> yeah, yeah it's all downhill from here <laughs> it's all downhill from it's here it's all here down here no it was actually it was really it was i mean it was you know it's i recommend it being prom king, if you ever get a chance, you give it a try. You feel like, okay, well, I guess people like me. You know, it's a Sally Field moment for uh, when you, <laughs> you know. I, I, I think that's on the mind of every prom king. Yeah, yeah. I, Sally Field. I'm just like Sally Field. I'm just like Sally Field tonight. <laughs> Who will be thank, my Burt Reynolds? Thank God my dad took the time to teach me to masturbate. <laughs> Sorry. Like all great American dads. That's <laughs> the last episode of Leave it to Beaver, which yep, will be yep. on MeTV next week. Ah, <laughs> oh, Beaver, you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> Come in the bathroom for a second. Come in the bathroom for a second. Never mind what Wally said. <laughs> well, actually, Eddie Haskell was right on the money. <laughs> he knew. He didn't really become Alice Cooper, did he? No. That's an urban myth. Are people yeah, yeah, too yeah. Remember that urban myth that, uh, that Eddie Haskell grew up to be... Uh, Alice Cooper, that's not true. But, he, but uh, it is true that Alice Cooper taught the actor who played Eddie Haskell how to jack off. That is actually... <laughs> that's the connection. Yeah, that's the... Wow. That's, the that's the connection. Wow. It's that's my, the confusion. That's the confusion. Yeah, yeah. Here's a boring question I ask everybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, was there a time... Uh, when you, was there a magic moment when you were a teenager where, where you thought, oh, I'm funny? Or did you not think, or were you insecure? You didn't know that it was a coincidence that people were laughing all the time, or maybe people weren't laughing all the time. No, I, uh, I, I was funny, and I knew that it was that it was useful uh, from a very early age. Probably like starting with at home, uh, you know, delaying going to bed. Like I, I have a distinct memory of uh, doing Tim Conway's. Like the old, the old man, you know, that old, that old man, uh, like for my grandmother, but then just like, and then would sort of stretch it out into getting to stay up for a half an hour later. Um, so the uh, Mrs. Huiggins, Mr. Tuttle. Yes, yes. Oh. No, but Mr. Oh, Tuttle is different. Mr. Tuttle, Mr. Mr. Mm. No, no, Dana, come back. Who's Mr. Tuttle? You told me that would work. <laughs> That's right. uh, I, I uh, yeah, Mr. Tuttle is different. Oh. Yeah, yeah. We always quote this to Kitchen Hall. And Mrs. Wiggins, Mrs. Wiggins, come in here and I'll time you on the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted Rock Hudson, but you got Rock Bottom. <laughs> 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 we laugh in so many tour buses doing that. Uh, over and over. <laughs> yes, yes. But, uh, but uh, 
Was it something that you could use? Oh, sorry. Uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, forget about that. <laughs> podcast. Sorry. Was it something you could use, or did you enjoy? Did you not enjoy the laughter part of oh, it? Oh no, no. I really no. And I and then uh, at school too. It's uh, no. It's great to be funny. It's great to be able to make people laugh. And I have funny. I'm from funny people. My dad is a very, very funny man. Very witty, but but also kind of you know like the the it always isn't. It was always kind of a mix because it was there was a lot of dysfunction in our household. So the ha- the funniness and that kind of providing the laughs was also kind of a great distractor from how unhappy everybody was. <laughs> and as a very early age, I sort of took on the mantle of the keeper of morale. And and then um, you know going to school and 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 being funny was kind of also like a cover for just like other insecurities or not feeling great about myself or you know uh, the more dysfunctional the family the more the show to the public will be bright and happy the best example of that being of course the Mansons had a ranch <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 that's true they did. I mean, it, we a weren't happy that. Ranch. What's, yeah, what, yeah. Yeah. Is there such thing as a sad ranch? There's no, no, no. such thing no. as a sad ranch? No, we weren't. I mean, and at our house, we were not uh, attempting to bring a, about a race war. <laughs> and, you know, and then to like, you know, pit blacks against the establishment whites, and then we would rule the blacks from our dune buggy army. Exactly, we weren't yeah. doing that. It nice was more just stuff like, you nice know. Nice deep cut on the dune buggy step, army. Though. It was... Yeah, it was more just like my stepfather drank a lot. That was yeah. more sort of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now was to there? Him, the Beatles were just the Beatles. And the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, okay. That was enough for us. Uh, the, the, Brian Wilson and Neil Young say that he was a good songwriter. I have no joke. Yeah. 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 Well, submission is a gift. I just. I have a, like. <laughs> I often just wonder how he slowly began to figure out who was going to do the murders. Like, did he have, like, hey, guys, who's really good at jack-o'-lanterns? <laughs> just putting it out there. Oh, uh, he always tries to get it into his Manson hunk. I always do. Steers every... <laughs> he's ruined so many brisses that way. <laughs> oh, that's not the only reason. <laughs> uh, was there a point where you thought, um, maybe comedy can be a career? And not just a way to save my life at home. Um, it it took a very it took a long time for that to happen because my my career path was sort of I went to school at University of Illinois. I uh, was gonna be like a yeah woo, <laughs> go Illini, uh, go 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 appropriation. Uh, uh, the um, I I went I started there in journalism and realized I don't care about journalism. Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't care about stories that aren't mine. Um, then I went to film school in Chicago. I read that in Wikipedia. I know you're not lying. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It is true. And, um, I started to take improv classes in Chicago and I, and then I concurrently was, uh, had gotten out of film school and was working as a production assistant, started as a production assistant on television commercials and industrial films, uh, because the Feature films were, you couldn't, they're very unionized in Chicago. So you, if you were non-union, you had to work in, and there was still tons of advertising work in Chicago. So it was lots of TV commercials. And, but it still was like, I wanted to do something creative. And I saw all the people that were making the creative decisions in television commercials 
none of them got anybody coffee. They were like ad executives or they had been they like, you know, the, the directors of the company, one of the companies that I work for, they had all been like just short filmmakers. They'd been teachers that made short films and then got jobs uh, directing television commercials. So a friend of mine um, was taking improv classes and that seemed to sort of appeal to me uh, because I didn't know whether I wanted to be a writer or a performer, and this was kind of all at once in a w in a in a a way that didn't require homework, you know, like the actual <laughs> sitting down and writing down words. So uh, th that appealed to me, and then I just kind of followed it, and I ended up I at a certain point with the shows became more demanding in my time. Some of the shows like became the improv shows became plays that were written through improvisation, and I had to commit to those re rehearsal schedules. So I quit doing the film work, and I, there were, and my, you know, my family, they were pretty supportive, but they were sort of like, wait, you're, 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 you're quitting that to just do these shows for 50 people, and, and you're going to wait tables, and what do you, ex and th there was no, I wasn't like one of those kids that was like, I'm going to be on Saturday Night Live, and so I'm going to leave Tempe, Arizona, and take <laughs> classes at Second City, and you know. I, I never was like that. I just kind of, it was there. I, you know, like I had a friend that took improv classes. That sounds good. And I, so I did the improv. And what and did your parents do? Were they anywhere near to show business? No, no. My mother, my mother uh, was, she ended up, my stepfather had a plumbing business. And then they sort of, as an offshoot, started selling kitchen cabinetry. And my mother's still a uh, kitchen cabinet designer. And she designs kitchens. And she's a subcontractor in Illinois. And, uh, and my dad was a, a college professor, but he and my mom divorced when I was young. And um, so no, 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 it's all right. Sorry. It's all right. Uh, his gayness got in the way of their marriage. I'm uh, very sorry. I'm very sorry. It happens. Uh, yes, it does. Apparently. Yeah, it Apparently. does. It does. Ask Dana. Yeah, I've heard um, of it. Um, but, uh, and then, but then a show that we did, a show that we did, a show that we did in uh, in Chicago called the Real Life Brady Bunch. Yes, I am. Which was that's gonna be a question. also on there. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Yes, um, it uh, it was a very silly show of adults doing recreations of the Brady Bunch on stage. And who thought of that? Because you you did it word for word per episode, right? We did it word for word. That was the idea. There was no sort of like we're gonna do a crazy takeoff. We tried to do it as literal, even down to facial gestures and stuff. Um, and that was the first show like that, because now it's been copied with Star it, Trek and things yeah, like that? Yeah, it was, it was the first. Actually, Jill Soloway and her sister, uh, Faith, uh, were very much in part of the, you know, in that improv comedy milieu you, in I'm Chicago. I'm sorry, it's Jill Soloway and their sister, Faith. And their sister. Dash Hound. Listen, you know what? You go grind your axe over there silently. We're talking. Go, I'm sorry. Go back to your hate speech. <laughs> Jill Soloway and their sister Faith. Um, they uh, actually, and it's it, it. The whole thing was inspired by my uh, one day sister in law, my wife's sister Becky Thayer, who's an incredibly talented comedic actress. Did an amazing Marsha Brady, oh. and she one day was just. Doing, you know, like just things like, I don't think so, Greg, or whatever, you know, like doing that imitation. <laughs> and it inspired, I think it was Jill and Faith, they said, like, Jesus, we should do this on stage. We should, and, and make it. And they, and there were really, it, what the reason it all worked is that there were really talented people doing it. 
and and it was I the rules were allowed to ad lib. No, no ad libbing. It was wow. all meant to be just. And it was because it's only a, it's a very short show, especially when you're doing it live. It's uh, it it had a companion sort of game show that preceded it. That was like an audience participation game show. So it was a it was a very fun night of like comedy theater, with. They they cleared out the state of uh, the seats in the theater and they put couches and people sit on the floor and bring beer and food, so it was very it was a very fun kind of party kind of atmosphere and it was wildly popular in Chicago and it also too was really timely in that it was it hit right when there was a '70s nostalgia wave that happened right. like all of a sudden it was you know like wearing bell bottoms and we're wearing bell bottoms again and we just happened at the same time with all of this and there were. Stories in People magazine, and and the show got a lot of notice. And um, I mean, you know, like that. There, there's the the Brady Bunch movies. That's because this that's because show. That, that's just because this was show anyone was from uh, from your Brady live show paid for any? Because it's the, the spirit of it. I don't know about that. I do know, like, there's because at first there was some. And I issues enjoy the first with, Brady Bunch movie with Sherwood. Sure. Oh no, they're they're funny. They're really funny. And they wouldn't have existed without. That I don't think they would have existed without somebody having shown them like this is a vehicle for comedy. Um, but the it only start- part was that you played a straight, that you did a whole episode. Yes, we like, did who play a straight. That? I would never have thought that. Yeah, would no, work. it was, and it was, and I thought when I heard they were doing it, I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> and I saw the first night, the the first night of the show, uh, and I don't, I honestly don't know that I've ever laughed since as hard as I did at that first show. It was screamingly funny to see it was done. So it's it's hard tone. to explain because it's so dumb. It's like how Marcia, uh, how she played Marcia. Like how she like played Marcia, how uh, uh, an actor named Ben Zook, he played Peter Brady throughout the run, and he was fucking hilarious. There were just so many people that were really, really funny in this and show. And what Brady did you play? I Well, I was, there, the game show portion was where a bunch of the people in the theater would come, mainly because... It w- we did two shows uh, on Tuesday nights that sold out and really kept the theater afloat. The theater in Chicago was called the Annoyance Theater. And we did other improv-based plays and improv shows. <laughs> it's still there, yeah. And, um, but it was, it was a huge, huge deal, you know. And uh, we did two of those shows a night, but we'd get free pizza and beer. There, would, there was pizza. And at that time, that was a big, you know, like, that's an entire meal and some beer being paid for by someone else. So it attracted everybody from the theater would come and there were improvised local commercials within the game show. So like, you know, the sex toy shop down the street, we'd have scene work <laughs> ads for the sex shop or whatever, or the dry cleaners. And um, so we all ended up performing in the show. And when it was... Uh, Ron Delsner, who's a, a legendary New York concert promoter, uh, wanted to bring it to the Village Gate in New York. And the guy that was playing Mike Brady at the time was also like the kind of managing director of the theater and couldn't go. And I went to Jill and said, I'll do it. I, it was $600 a week. And I'd oh. n- I hadn't made that much money ever, you know, before. And so I said, I'll, I'll slap on a wig and, and I'll be Mike Brady because it's, you know, honey, I'm home. Like it's the easiest dumbest part of the whole show and Jane Lynch uh, played Carol Brady she was she w- played Carol Brady in the show um, and I can see you're doing that very well oh she was great did she you guys great. do specific w- was there an episode of the show that was like 
you got to do this one. That one's great. Or, or they did you? Well, we had we had in up? L.A. We had our, I I don't know what they did in Chicago, but in L.A. we actually had Davy Jones. Oh, okay. We did the right. Davy Jones episode, uh, and Davy Jones. Oh my God, he did came it. and did the show, and then funny story about Davy Jones since deceased. Oh yes. <laughs> there actually is. There actually uh, there was a very funny Davy Jones. Davy Jones was. Davy Jones was fucking fantastic. He was just the best. And he, he wasn't was, he wasn't a prick or anything. No, the absolute opposite of a prick. Uh, and uh, He was a cunt. <laughs> uh, yeah, he was a cunt. Uh, but he he told us a story. Well, like after we we were in New York and then we took the show to New York, then we took the show to LA. And for a while, it was playing in New York and L.A. There was actually a secondary cast that stayed in New York while we went to L.A. And then after that, it actually sort of did, there was a touring company that went around and and did the show. And it was all still, you know, like, just really kind of dragged it out. And he went on the touring show, and on on one of their stops, they stopped. In the, in the southwest, they stopped in the truck stop, and he bought a head-to-toe, like, Indian chief gear for a little kid, but it fit him perfectly. <laughs> like, buckskin pants and a beaded sort of, like, you know, like, sort of be- breastplate and a, and a long, uh, you know, feather headdress. Like, the whole thing is like, oh, he said, me mates back at the pub are going to love this. I'm going to come, like he wanted to do it because he lived in a, he had a horse farm in England and he was going to, he was going to wear it into the pub. And he also told us, he told us a story because his life was just, when he wasn't working, was the horse farm, go to the pub, just get drunk every day, completely Davey drunk. Davy Jones? Yes. And he told, like he said, he said, and the, like he told us the story that he rode into town on his horse, got really drunk got back on his horse and then rode home and then passed out in the ditch and his horse and his dog stood there waiting for him to wake up (laughs) and it started to rain. And he said that the next day the whole town was like, yeah, we saw you laying in the ditch with your horse and your dog standing there waiting for you to wake up. And they went like, just let him go. Just let him. He'll wake An- up. Another Pleasant Valley Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, we did. Uh, that was a big one. You know, the Silver Platter episode. We did that one, too. And was it from Brady Bunch that Conan O'Brien happened uh, for, to you? Mm, for no, you? Well, no. Actually, the, the most direct connection with Conan was uh, I, had, I had finished doing the Brady Bunch. And I got uh, I got a role in, I had had a role in a, in a cable movie because I got I got an agent through the Brady Bunch which I was amazed. That was and your moment. Was the Brady Bunch was your moment. It was. I uh, uh, and casting director came to see it in New York and waited after the show for me. And like I say, I was one of the most boring parts of the show. Mike, you know, nobody watched the Brady Bunch. It was like, man, that fucking Robert reads a, a <laughs> barrel of laughs. So, a uh, casting. A casting director waited until after she was an assistant casting director and said, I have an agent friend of mine that I think you should meet. And I was like, okay. And I go and I sat, and it was like, she's like this old, cigarette boozy, uh, like New York agent. 
Um, and she, we sat, and I just talked to her for like an hour. I sat across from her desk and talked to her for an hour, and she said, I got to call everybody in town about you. You're fantastic. I love you. And she got on a call, and she called like a casting director at, at uh, New York, and especially because in New York, the network casting is very small compared to out here. And she's, and she's on the phone saying, oh, you're going to love this guy. He's fantastic. No, he's not just funny. He can do it all. He can do it all. And I thought, you've only talked to me for an hour. You don't know me at all. Oh, I get it. It's all horseshit. <laughs> it's all bullshit. And it would be rude of me to not keep up my end of the bargain <laughs> and not go like, well, you're right. I can do it all. Okay, you know. <laughs> and and I, then when we brought the show to L.A., that agent had a connection with a, a small agency out here, and I started getting sent out on auditions. And uh, the, first, the first job that I had, um, aside from being a John Wayne Gacy victim back in Chicago on a copy of uh, a episode of Hard Copy. Yes, go on. I was a, I was a victim of the rope trick. Um, <laughs> was I was in a movie out here, a cable movie called The uh, Allegedly, uh, Allegedly True Adventures of the Texas Cheerleader Murdering Mom. Yes. Starring Holly Hunter, and it was directed that was by good, Michael though. Richard. It was a fantastic movie. That was good. Movie. I remember yeah, it was good. It was, it was of those... Of that story, there were like three movies made about that, and this is the good one. Oh, because so I could have been wrong. That was the good no, one. No, no, this oh, was the good one. Because yeah, right. Michael Ritchie, who also directed Smile, the great... He's one of my favorite 70s directors. He, was, he directed this movie. And the Candidate. He, yeah. And I, and I had a... I had, <laughs> you really do know the internet. Um, I... Uh, I, and, I, he, and he sings all those songs. He was with the Commodores. Yes. And it's amazing. His brother, Lionel. Yeah, that was his brother. His brother, Lionel, as Kevin might say. Yeah, yeah, um, And then, but the then. The Commodores. I got the job. I got the, after that, I got a job in Cabin Boy, in the movie Cabin Boy. Oh, that and was before Yeah, Conan? yeah, and that was, that was before Another Conan. Another good movie. Another really good. That was, I had finished, um, Finished in L.A. Uh, with the Brady Bunch. Uh, went was basically sleeping on my mom's couch back in Illinois, not knowing what the fuck I was going to do now. I mean, really starting to think like, okay, now I'm going to have to like start writing ad copy or something. And I got they called me back for the part. And uh, luckily, my my uncle drove his work truck into my mother's car. And she was able to use that insurance money to get me a plane ticket to L.A. so wow. I could do, because I was that Silver broke. lining. Nobody had any money. Um, wow. And uh, so I used that money to come back and, and had like four callbacks over like eight days. And it was, wow. I, they, I just, ca I had to stay at a friend's, on a friend's couch. And they'd say like, well, come back and read again, read with somebody else. Oh, like I said, it was like over eight days. And I finally had to say, I got I to gotta go. I actually, with no... I said, they have to decide because I can't just keep staying here. And they said, okay, you got the part. So I, wow. I stayed here. That was going to be like my, like, all right, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm going to be a movie actor. And I made Cabin Boy, and then that was, it was Cabin Boy. And it, you know, <laughs> and it took. I like it. it I like oh, it. It's, oh, it's a great, it's very yeah. funny. But it was, I mean, but even before that, you don't real. it takes so long for the movie to come out that that nest egg was like a hummingbird egg that I made on the movie. And I was, li I, they, in the meantime, in that middle, middle time, uh, my friend Beth Cahill had been on Saturday Night Live for a season. 
And Melanie Hutzel had played Jan in the right. Brady Bunch, and she was on. She got through playing Jan. She was on Saturday Night Live for a season, and going to hang out with Beth, I met M- Robert Smigel, and Robert and I hit it off, and we just became, you know, like we. He he was in L.A. working on the ill-fated Hans and Franz movie one summer. And he and I just basically got drunk and drove around uh, <laughs> together. And, and then he got the job with Conan. Conan was given the, the job replacing Letterman. Who's Robert, in Cabin Boy. Who, who was, yeah, who is in Cabin Boy. And, right. uh, and Robert was going to be the head writer. And Conan, whatever Conan, show Conan was going to do, Robert was going to be the head writer. And Robert asked me, do I want to be a writer on And sure, so I submitted some material, which is the first time I'd well, ever... Was a writer at first. I, yeah, the first time I'd ever written down anything, like uh, to submit a packet of material. I'd never been like part of a sketch group. I was only part of like an improv group. And so I, I was like, all right, shit, uh, how about this? Uh, and wrote a pack. And I, I even remember like it was unprofessional enough that I was... It was... My wife was staying with somebody and the only paper they had was like kind of like pink... So I sent my <laughs> re- I sent my submission packet in like pink paper. It was like on, and um, and I got the job. And the day that I got the, that they called me and said, "Yeah, come right on this new late night show," I got a call for a second interview to uh, be the assistant manager at a movie theater in Westwood. Oh wow! Where I was just terrified that I would be working there when Cabin Boy was playing at the same movie theater. <laughs> It was entirely conceivable <laughs> that the movie would play while I was still having to be an assistant manager of a movie theater. Wow. So I got to tell them, no, I'm moving to New York, and then, and then it okay. just kind of <laughs> took off from there. You know, I haven't even got to my third question of 24, and they're telling me that we have to get off, but I have one. Mo- well, that's all right. But I'm a blabber. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I have just one I, quick point before, because yeah, you, you should go, end it. Go, but uh, very quickly, you mentioned Robert Reed. There's a very little known fact that the other, you know, talk about callbacks, the other actor, it was down to two people for the father and the Brady Bunch, the other actor, Gene Hackman. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I and very funny story, he's now very old, very sick. And he, he wonders why he can't sell merch. That's, <laughs> those are his taglines. Very old, very sick. So we have to leave. I just want to ask one last thing. Yes. Is it true what Scott Thompson told me the time he was on uh, your show uh, with the Lou Gossett story? Is that yes, true? Yes, it is true. Uh, um, can you tell the story then we'll say? I, I don't remember it exactly, but it, it involved. I can tell you what he told me. It involved, yeah. Well, it involved Scott using the N-word on the air. And he's saying the Canadians are the N-word of something. Yeah, no, it was so, no, he was saying because he was he first of all said when he flew down from Canada that he was in first class with Celine Dion and he went, "Oh, and you know those Quebecois how they stink." Like, Strike one. Yeah, like and then I think he said that that the the francophones are the N-words that of Canada. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. And uh, we all were kind of like, ha, 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 ha. Cut to Lou Gossett Goss in this dressing going, room. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Yeah. Okay, Scott told me that the FBI came. Is that true? <laughs> oh, that I don't know, but I, yeah, I have. And also, 
I know, because I taped that he he called me, so I taped that episode, and I had it for a few years. And uh, because Lou Gossett left, Scott had to be on longer. So if you see, it's a great cut too. Scott's being happy, and he's telling his Canadian stuff and Celine Dion stuff. And then it's obviously after you cut right away, and he's like this. <laughs> yep, and he just ruined the show. And he's got to fill up a whole act. Yeah. He's got to take all. We should have just asked him all Lou Gossett's questions. <laughs> Have I done my N-word stuff yet? Yeah, yeah. What was it like to give a birth to an alien baby? <laughs> Thank you, Andy. All right, Hunter. bye. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> he was kidding. He was kidding. He was kidding. See? Kidding. Well, now uh, we're close to the end. It feels like it's not long. I'm going to see what time. Boo. Boo. But, oh, it has been on forever. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it went by fast. This is where you come out in the janitor outfit and sweep up a spotlight. Yes. <laughs> Carabinetta Red Skeleton. Same thing. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. But we have a one more amazing thing. Uh, are you ready? All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Amy Mann, the guardian angel. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Amy, you are backstage. Do I have time to ask you questions, or should I just wait till the next time you're on the show? I, it's uh, it's up to you. Is is there any room after uh, Andy Richter's Blabfest? I I don't know. Uh, oh, I love, well, I love right. Andy Richter's Blabfest. This organ. I'm just going to ask a couple of questions because sometimes I do a, a shorter podcast where I t I talk to uh, the best songwriters of all time. And so, um, uh, have I asked you yet? Have you agreed? I don't know. <laughs> but I, I'm agreeing now because you just called me the one of the best songwriters, the songwriters of all ever. time. I'm not even lying. I'm not. Uh, I mean, don't trust me. I'm just a stupid comedian. But in my opinion, I think you're one of the best songwriters ever. I'm not like a musician. I'll, I'll accept it. I'll you accept heard it my E-Court song. What do I know about songwriting? <laughs> but I think you're. Uh, uh, this is more of a statement than a question. Uh, <laughs> so I'll uh, let me finish up with a statement. Um, but till Tuesday, voices carry. That was one of the Kitson Hall favorite songs. Is that uh, right? It's, yes. Uh, it's very yeah. exciting to hear. It's very, we would walk around, but because it, it was one of the songs they played before whatever shows we were doing, and we would literally walk around, great song, yeah, that's a great song. <laughs> that that's is really, really fun to hear. Because you were sort of like a pretty band, and they called you a hair band, and we weren't supposed to like you, but we saw through it. <laughs> yeah. We saw through it. I was trying to be serious. <laughs> He's talking about some very serious issues. I know, I know. It's such a great song. Thank uh, you. Uh, that's, uh, I, uh, well, I should ask a question about it. How did you write it? There, that's a question. Uh, I wrote it on bass, which is uh, bizarre, but I just I didn't play guitar then. And uh, uh, that's it. That's all I got. I have no other story. Do you remember the inspiration for it? Or uh, I think I think one of my band members had said the phrase voices carry in when he was talking, and I was like, ooh, I should write that down. Uh, Songwriters uh, do that. And the other, the, what I wrote it about was a, there was a friend of mine, uh, this guy who was going out with a girl, and he was complaining that she... Uh, she was very affectionate when they were alone, but when they were in public, she was like, don't hold my hand. And so I that, so that's what it was about. And it was originally, uh, from a guy's point of view, about a girl, but the record company thought it was a lesbian song, and they were really? like, we think you should change it. Yeah. Ah. When you write a song of that, do you think, oh, I just wrote a hit? Do you ever think No, that? absolutely not. Really? No, people at, at our live shows started to say, that song is really good. I'm like, I don't, you know, I mean, I thought it was good, but I, I didn't, it didn't seem... You know, I didn't differentiate it from any of our other songs. And it was a hit. Was it your first single? The, and with the yeah. 
How does it feel to have your first single be like a hit? It was a radio hit, it was an MTV hit, it was a hit. It was a hit. I think when you're, you know, we were like 24, and when you're, when you're young and you get signed to a record deal, I mean, you sort of do think, and now we'll make it. Like, you don't understand how impossible that is. So, so we were like, oh, yeah, this is supposed to happen. But once it did, it was weir really weird. I mean, I think everybody sort of feels like, oh, it would be so great to be famous. Wouldn't that be fun? And then it's just, oh, no, people just follow you around and, you d and they're strangers. So it's, it's like, it's as weird as it would be for anyone to be followed around by a stranger. So I, I found that part very uncomfortable. What's your favorite thing to do? I ask musicians this because I'm interested. Is it songwriting? Is it singing? Is it playing guitar? Is it recording an album? Is it going touring? Do you have a favorite thing? I love writing songs. It's so, it's so exciting. That's I what I wanted just, you to say. It's just like <laughs> if there is a, a complicated feeling and you can put it into words and that moment where you're like, you're trying to think of the right way to say and then your brain just thinks of it and pops it out. You're like, I don't... I don't know how my brain just did that, but thank you, and, it, and it's just such a great feeling. This is, like, I'm, I'm a boring guy, but I'm very excited about this question. I know, you're, you're leaping, <laughs> you're, you're jumping. I, I'm a jumping boring guy. Do you, um, how do you write songs? Do you, I mean, no, no, this is what I mean. This is what I mean. Um, <laughs> do you have the idea first, or do you uh, do, like, a nine-to-five job? You sit down, and you go, well, I better write a song today, or do both things happen? When... I'm, when I'm kind of in the mode of writing a record, like I feel like it's time I started to think about a record, or if there's like a project or a reason to write a song, I I will sit down. I, ha I kind of have a thing of just sit down for 15 minutes and whatever you, you know, if you listen to sort of old or work tapes or just pick up the guitar and play chords or write something, like it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you do, but just do it for 15 minutes. And then if you're really on a roll, do however long you want, but but I, just putting in that bare bones 15 minutes, I think. You know, because I, I, you have this idea like the inspiration is gonna hit, man, and it just, it's not gonna hit if you're not sitting down with a fucking guitar in your hand. So that's kind of, that's sort of my policy. You don't write in bass anymore, or piano, or? No, it's too, yeah, I mean, I, I need a, uh, I write on piano sometimes, but I, I can't really play that well, but, but I, need, I need all the chord elements. Uh, I don't know how I manage <laughs> to write a decent song on just with like one string. I have one last amazing question, then I'll let you do it. I cannot concert. wait for this amazing question. <laughs> Your lyrics are so, uh, I was kidding, it's not an amazing question, um, no, but I'm interested. Um, it was, uh, your lyrics are so amazing. Have you ever thought of writing like novels or anything? Um, I've, been, I've been approached about writing a book because I, 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 think, that there, I think that there's like, <laughs> agents or something feel like every rock person has an interesting story, which I think is not true. Um, so I don't, and I've said, Oh, I can't write, and they're like, "That doesn't. That's not important." I'm like, "Yes, it fucking is important." <laughs> I don't want to be. I don't want to write a book that's that's crap that I wouldn't want to read. Um, I I think that one one day I might try to write a graphic novel uh, because I'm really interested. I really like that form, um, but it means. What about even short stories? That's sort of like songs. I don't. I just. I don't know. I mean, I, I like Fuck the graphic short stories. novel form. I'm sorry, I brought I just, it up. I'm not. I'm not good at prose. I, it's just a whole different thing. It's a, it's a different mindset, and I'm not good at it. I'm very excited. I'm probably going to run around and watch. And, uh, <coughs> Would you, you like much. to sit? I want you to sit right at my feet. I'll, I'll sit. 
Please I'll sit be, and stare at me. I'll, sit, I'll make sure you won't see me to make you nervous. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Amy Mann, I'm so excited. Thank you so much. I'm going to bring my friend Mary to play, play violin for me. This is Mary Kobayashi. Do you have enough room, Mary? I just realized abruptly uh, who I am and what kind of songs I write, so I'm just going to bring you totally down. <laughs> this song, in fact, this next song is like one of the downiest down songs. Uh, it's called You Never Loved Me. So, uh, cheers, Kevin, and your funny podcast. So Sit in a row with a vanishing groom till it 
This next song is about Hollywood and disappointment <laughs> and betrayal. <laughs> and it's also a little bit about Andrew Garfield. Don't belong. Life is grand, and wouldn't you like? 
Kobayashi. Thank you so much. Amy Mann, best songwriters ever. Yes, thank you for coming. Keep cheering because I like cheering when I'm talking. Thank you. I'd like to thank my, my real best friend, Mark McKinney. I'd like to thank, yes, Dana Gould, Andy Richter, Amy Mann. Flanagan and everybody at Largo. Um, and the guys from Forever Dog, they produced this. And keep applauding! And you can listen to all the episodes of my podcast on the Forever Dog Podcast Network. I'm Kevin McDonald, I guess. Thank you, good night. The mic keeps getting shorter. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm. For more podcasts, please visit foreverdogproductions.com.